have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to 1 Samuel 28. This will be our final message here in the book of 1 Samuel, but we still have plenty to go in our series called Kings. And today we're going to be wrapping up King Saul's life. You see that it's not going very well for him. He's not listening to the Lord. He's not living for the Lord. And he starts to make some decisions that are incredibly foolish, as if he hasn't already been doing that. But 1 Samuel 28, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just dig right into it and seek the Lord together. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. Settle our hearts. Quiet the room. And I mean that in a spiritual sense, the things that are on our hearts, things that maybe we're weighing on, I pray that you would settle that thought and help us to focus on you and what it is you want to say today. Help us to respond and apply your word. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. Please bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so where we left off last week, David had an opportunity to kill Saul, chose not to, wanted to honor that position, that anointed position of king, okay? Then what happens next, there's another attempt to take Saul's life, comes into the camp, they're all sleeping, an opportunity to take matters into their own hands and instead again, chose grace to allow Saul another chance, and they get out of the camp, and they reveal that they could have killed Saul, but they did not. And in the meantime, you see a variety of things happening, and Saul's at a position where he's going to have to go into another war, and specifically with the Philistines. They had mustered up some men, and they want to attack Saul, and he's a little bit anxious, and so he begins to Seek the Lord, but the Lord's not answering him. And so then he takes matters into his own hands. And so let's pick things up here. We're going to read the whole chapter, starting in verse 1. It says, About that time the Philistines mustered up their armies for another war with Israel. And King Achish, that's a Philistine king, told David, You and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Well, very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. Now meanwhile, Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him. And he was buried in Ramah, his hometown. And Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. That was banned activity in the kingdom. Banned. Verse 4, the Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. And he asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Samuel, or excuse me, Saul then said to his advisors, Find a woman who is a medium, so I can go and ask her what to do. And his advisors replied, There's a medium at Endor, 
So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Now finally the woman said, Well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, he replied. Now when the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You've deceived me. You are Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a God coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, Saul asked. Well, he's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. And Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Because I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, Why ask me, since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. And the Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. And Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. And he was also faint with hunger, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And when the woman saw how distraught he was, she said, Sir, I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say, and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. But Saul refused to eat anything. And then his advisors joined the woman in urging him to eat. So he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. And the woman had been fattening a calf, so she hurried out and killed it. And she took some flour, kneaded it into dough, and baked unleavened bread. She brought the meal to Saul and his advisors, and they ate it. And then they went out into the night. This could be kind of a heavy chapter. There's a lot going on. And even a little bit uh, crazy to think, we're calling somebody back from the dead to speak to Saul. Might make you scratch your head a little bit. We're getting into something here that uh, seems a bit foreign to some degree. Well, as I walk through this chapter with you guys, I want to point out a few things. One of the first things I want to note is that Saul tried to consult the Lord. I don't know if you caught that in reading this but the Lord refused to respond to him. 
You kind of got to ask, well, why did the Lord stop consulting and, and giving counsel to Saul? And I think you can see clearly that the reason why he's not answering is because there's a huge sin problem in Saul's life. Now, this isn't always the case, but it can be. One of the reasons why prayers can be hindered is because of our character or a sin issue that needs to be dealt with. There's a variety of passages here that I want to highlight for you. In Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Cherishing sin. You can see how Saul was doing this in his life. Cherishing sin issues. Proverbs 28, 9. It says, If you turn a deaf ear to the Lord's instructions, even your prayers are detestable to the Lord. If we're not living for the Lord, you feel like the Lord's going to answer your prayer? There's Scripture that's illuminating that for us. Isaiah 59 says that our iniquities have separated us from God. Our sins have hidden His face from us so that He will not hear us. Sin can block that. Here's one for all the men in the room that have wives. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it talks about being considerate to your wives and treat them with respect like they're the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. And if you don't do that, it says your prayers will be hindered. If we don't treat our spouse with respect and being considerate, it can prevent our prayers, hinder our prayers. 1 Peter 4, 7 says to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Sin can block our prayer life, and that's what happened to Saul. And what's interesting is for Saul, this isn't something that just happened overnight. He had a line to the Lord. He could consult the Lord. He could speak with Samuel, all of those things. But there's this slow fade that's taking place in Saul's life. And what Saul had banned that was demonic activity, you see the slow fade bring him to a point in life where he now engages in the demonic activity that he had banned from the kingdom. This does not happen overnight. Saul had a pride issue. And that pride issue led to him being disobedient in the small things. And then he had a jealousy, a jealousy specifically for David and the fame that was growing with David. And that disobedience in the small things led to disobedience in the big things. It's beginning to snowball. And you see the Spirit of God leaving Saul and then tormenting spirits coming to Saul. You see his anger, you see his rage, you see the broken relationships that are in his life. You see more pride, you see more jealousy. You see him taking matters into his own hands and now engaging in an act that he had once banned from the kingdom. This did not happen overnight. Sometimes people can begin to make decisions in their life and they go, how did I get here? A slow fade. A slow fade. 
and things begin to snowball. And we can take note of these things. On top of all of this, as he goes to consult this medium, he even mixes the Lord into this a little bit. I don't know if you caught this in verse 10. But he makes a vow to her, kind of in the name of the Lord. So here we're at this demonic consult, and we're bringing the Lord into the mix here. Saul is clearly confused, he's twisted, he's not seeing things the way that he needs to. And I want to address something here I think is important. It's a a piece of history in regards to what's called the place of the dead. Perhaps you've heard of this before, but Sheol is the Old Testament word, but Hades is also the New Testament word for the place of the dead. And it's this place where if you were not righteous, you went to the place of suffering. And if you were righteous, you went to this place called paradise. And there's a chasm in between that separates those two locations. Okay, And Jesus actually draws this out in Luke 16. And he tells an account of a rich man and this poor man named Lazarus. And the rich man is on the place of torment side, and the poor man is in paradise, also known as Abraham's side. And as Jesus draws this out, the rich man, he'd just give anything for a drip of water off the finger of the poor man. But this chasm is too great, he can't cross to the other side. And the rich man shouts out, Father Abraham, have pity. Send that poor man over to dip his finger in water and just cool my tongue. He says, I am in anguish in these flames. So we recognize where he's at. Part of that torture is the heat and the intensity of flames. And Abraham says, don't you remember in your lifetime you had everything you want. You could have helped Lazarus. But you did not. Now he's here with me being comforted and you are in anguish. And that tells me, guys, the decisions that we make here on this side of eternity will affect where we will be that side of eternity. I'll go a little bit further on that in a moment. But there's a great chasm that separates us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us. That's being brought out here in Luke 16. So what does the rich man say then to Abraham? He says, well, please, at least send somebody to my father's home. I've got brothers, and I want to warn them so that they don't end up where I am. But I want you to notice that both the rich man and Lazarus, they're both in this place called Sheol, the place of the dead. And as Samuel is called up, and he speaks judgment over Saul, and he says that he's going to die in battle along with his sons, take note of what Samuel says. You're going to be with me where I am. And when he says that, understand, Samuel is in paradise, and Saul is headed to the place of torment. But the location is the place of the dead, or Sheol. And before we move forward on this is to recognize that we have this woman who is playing with fire and she's able to speak to the dead. 
But I want to make a clarification here. I believe she's able to speak to demons, not the dead. Understand this, that demons, they've existed a lot longer than you and I have. Go all the way back to the beginning. And they can see things in your life. And they know the relationships you have. And so when people lose a loved one and they would just love to hear from that loved one after they've passed away, they go and they consult someone who can speak to demons who have seen things transpire in their life. So they call up a family member, but the demon acts as that family member, bringing up accounts that they've lived through, things they've experienced, because demons see that stuff. And they think, oh, how do they know that? It's because they're playing with fire. This is demonic activity. And in this one case, God allows Samuel to actually show up. And it even shocks the woman. In verse 12, it says she screamed. She did not expect Samuel to actually show up. She expected to speak to a demon and bring some revelation to Saul. But instead, in this one instance, God allows someone from the dead to come and speak, and the, the thing that's spoken is judgment over Saul. Because you've done this, it's over. Your kingdom has come to an end, and you are going to die. And you're going to join me where I'm at, the place of the dead, Sheol. Now, one of the individuals that was going to die is Jonathan. And he seems to be like a really good guy. Seems to be faithful, seemed to be on Team David, seemed to be an honest man, probably loved the Lord. And if he's going to be where Samuel is, he would be on the side of paradise. But the place is the place of the dead known as Sheol. Now this all shifts in the New Testament. The place of the dead now holds those who are being tormented. But those who are on the side of paradise... That's been moved. It's no longer in the place of the dead. And this all changed at the cross, and I want to walk through this with you. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible talks about how he went and he preached to the spirits that were in prison. And when it says that he preached, it's not like he gave all these people another chance. Like, you didn't get it figured out on earth, so here you go. Here's another opportunity. The word preached means he went and proclaimed his victory. He won that victory on the cross. He goes into the place of dead and he proclaims his victory to the spirits. And Colossians 2.15 says that he disarmed all principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them. And he triumphed over them. So Jesus descends into the place of dead, and the first thing he's doing is proclaiming victory. Another thing he does is he takes something. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I'm the living one, I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's a big deal. Take it a step further. What else happens? Jesus takes 
those who are on the side of paradise but still in the place of dead. The Bible says he takes captivity captive, and off he goes. And that's in Ephesians 4. When the Bible talks about all of us having gifts from the Holy Spirit, it says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and then he gives gifts to those who are on earth. And in verse 9 it says, now this, that he ascended, said what does that mean, but that he also, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He goes down into Sheol, the place of the dead, proclaims his victory, takes the keys, takes captivity captive, and leaves the place of the dead with them. You think of the statement in the Apostles' Creed where it talks about him descending into hell. That is where that comes from. He didn't suffer in the place of torment. He went there to proclaim his victory, take the keys, and lead those that were on the side of paradise off into heaven. So what does Saul do when all of this judgment is spoken over him? Man is flat on the ground. Just can't hardly eat. He just knows he, he messed up. And let this be a reminder. Our memory verse this week was, guys, the Lord rewards people who are righteous and faithful. And the decisions we make, they have consequences. And for Saul, he made some very poor decisions. And he's now reaping the consequences of those decisions. But the Lord rewards people for their righteousness and their faithfulness. So with this verse in view, I want to just ask us some questions of response today. My first question is, are you perhaps struggling with sin that may be preventing the effectiveness of your prayer? Is there a known sin issue in your life that you keep going to, that you keep picking up, that you keep doing, but understand that is going to prevent your prayers from being effective? James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you'll be healed. And it says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I realize that as long as I'm saved and I live on this planet that's cursed by sin, I'm going to wrestle with things. Okay, but understand, known sin, consistent disobedience, it does block prayer. Lord, search our hearts. Is there anything that needs to be dealt with? Another question is, are you aware of a slow fade in your life? Is there something going on in your life where you can say, how did I get here? Are there some things that I need to take care of? Jesus himself said, if you're not gathering toward me, you're scattering. So we lean into him, we pursue him. And another question I have for us here, are you personally ready for heaven? 
or are you en route to the place of the dead? I said earlier that what you do here on this earth with your decisions and with your life determines what will happen in eternity. And if we don't have Christ in our life, you will not be in heaven and there are no second chances. When you take your last breath here, eternity hangs in the balance. If you have Christ here, you'll be with Christ here. If you do not have Christ here, you won't be with Christ here. So with these questions in mind, a sin issue that might be blocking our prayer life, is there a slow fade that's going on that I need to to lean in more to the Lord, refocus, reset? Are you ready for heaven? Understand that wherever we land on the spectrum there, Satan wants us to play with fire. He wants to stir up these things in our life that block us from being able to have an effective prayer life. He wants to cause things to snowball in our life. It started here, but you go, how did I get here? We play with fire. And then to think about this, some people, they're just not quite ready to make a decision about Jesus, this side of eternity. You're playing with fire. You don't know when your last breath's going to be. And understand, if you don't have Christ in your life, eternity is a long time to be separated from God. You're playing with fire if you do not settle the sin issue in your life by bringing Christ into the equation. With these questions of reflection and just asking the Holy Spirit, show me, what do you want to do in my life right now? Are there things in me you want to take care of? I want to encourage you to open your heart to the Lord because there's a beauty in all of this. Even though we might be in opposition to God, folks, there is a beauty in the grace of God. Even while we're in opposition to Him, He loves us. He desires for us to repent and to change our lives. Whether it's a sin issue or a slow fade or preparing for heaven, God's grace is extended to you now, inviting you to lean in. As I get ready to close this message with prayer, I want to invite Janet to return, and I'm going to lead us just in a prayer of response. Lord, what are you speaking into my life? Are there areas in which I'm playing with fire? We can look at Saul and think, how in the world Could this man choose to do such a thing that he once banned? But the reality of it is, all of us, we can begin to fade in our life and start doing things that are out of character. But God's grace is extending to you. Let's address these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. Thank you that you do reward people for their righteousness and their faithfulness. But the starting point of that, in order for me to be righteous and faithful, I need the presence of Christ in my life. I cannot do that on my own. And if there's someone listening right now, if you ask the question, am I ready for heaven? If you do not know how to answer that with an absolute yes, then I want to just be very clear. 
the Lord wants you to be in heaven. And He sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty and the price for your sin so that you can be set free and be sure that you're ready for heaven. If you desire to receive Him today, I want to lead you praying and asking Jesus to come into your life. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. Please come and sit on the throne of my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you came to this earth, you lived a perfect life, and you died on the cross to set me free from sin. And as you rose from the grave, you bring abundant life to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And I'm calling on that name today. Jesus, save me. I surrender my life to you. And I thank you for this forgiveness. Lord, for all of us as we respond to this message today, if there's any area of sin that we're wrestling with in our life, we want to lay that at the foot of the cross and ask for your forgiveness. Please help us. Thank you for your grace, even in the midst of our disobedience. We live in the era of grace. We live in the era of Jesus Christ. Even when we make poor decisions, you're there to help us. And we ask for your help now, Lord. We lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.